And now, back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on TalkZone.com. All right, and now for the second portion of the program. No bikinis involved this time. We have former Minnesota Viking and Seattle Seahawks defensive tackle, John Randall, Pro Football Hall of Famer, who submitted to an interview with David Spada and myself. How did you end up at Texas A&M? It was called Texas A&M at Kingsville. But I got there, but uh, how I got there was um, my uh, college coach at my junior company, at the junior college, his name was Keith Waters, um, was a, he was a defensive coordinator, and basically got, he got there, he was there, and uh, I got there a year later, and uh, he recruited me to junior college. He transferred for a better job at Texas A&I as a linebacker's coach, and um, I just followed him down there. What was Kingsville like? I think, <laughs> you know what, I put in the words of uh, Tom Moore, the former offensive coordinator for the uh, Indianapolis coach. He went down to Texas A&I one time and said, uh, if a man had six months to live and he went down to Kingsville, Texas, that would be the longest six months of his life. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot to do down there. And it was nothing to do but just uh, uh, play basketball, lift weights, um, and just watch the cars pass by. It wasn't it's, it's a town of about ten thousand people uh, down in South Texas, but yeah, I wasn't nothing nothing to do around there. So I see that you tried out for your brother's team, the Buccaneers, but they thought you were too small. Did that basically make you think maybe I should go into something else rather than football? No, you know what? Um, going down there, to, uh, seeing my brother, and going out of uh, camp at the time, seeing my brother, basically just kind of was a um, was a way for me. Kind of uh, it was kind of like a high school moment when I went to high school, and you know I faced the same thing in high school. It was a brother that went to school, went to high school before me, and uh, you know everybody was telling me this is where your brother did this, this is where your brother did that. And it just kind of reassured me that going down there wasn't the right idea for me. But so basically, they did me a favor of telling me I was too small to play defensive line. And, uh, you know, it was where I said, but basically, I came down there and I said, I want to play defensive line. And they said, no, you're going to play linebacker like your brother. I'm going, okay, I can see where you guys are putting me in his category, but. I knew in my mind I was a defensive lineman, and uh, you know it just reassured to me that my decision, what I wanted to do was, you know, it was something I wanted to do, even though my brother was playing a different position. And so it didn't take long for me to make my mind and uh, to and to leave. Now, had you hoped to be drafted? Had you anticipated uh, somebody would pick you? I, I thought I would. I thought I would be drafted. Uh, you know, coming out of small school, you don't really know what everything the teams are thinking back in the you know, and facing in the late eighties and the you know, you, you never really I didn't really know what teams were thinking, but I thought I had a chance. I and uh, you know, I sat around for two days two days all day waiting for somebody to call and they uh hoping that someone was gonna, you know, was gonna pick me. And uh, you know, at some point I felt embarrassed but, you know, I just said, you know what, you know, it, didn't, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. 
What was your first contract with the Vikings uh, worth when you were an undrafted free agent? Uh, my first contract was about 2000 and before taxes. They gave me like a uh, $5,000 signing bonus, which was basically $3,000 and, um, you know, $30,000 after taxes. But the money was, it wasn't all about, about money. It was just being able to make it. That's because I knew in the back of my mind that I, I wanted to give it a try because I said to myself, I don't, I don't try this. I will, will regret this for the rest of my life. And, uh, there were a few things in life that I've said that to myself, and this was one of the things I said, you know what? Starting the day, I'm going to change. I'm not going to be that kid who grew up in a town of 150 people and just the backwoods. I'm going to be a guy that all of a sudden said, you know what? I'm going to stand for something, and, and I'm going to make, um, say that, you know what? At least I tried out. How difficult was that transition as an undrafted free agent, you know, you're not coming in with a big contract. You're not coming in with a, a lot of expectation. Oh, uh, yeah. That was actually, that was a huge transition because, um, I mean, here I am, I mean, a year ago, I'm watching so many guys on TV. Now, uh, now these guys played on television. These guys played at schools with their names on the back of the jersey. And um, I'm a Division two player coming into this big place. Not a draft ticket, but as a basically a free agent. And some of these guys went to the same schools, and, and, and I almost felt as if I was going to a new school for the first day, and uh, I just felt completely out of place. But um, I knew, but only I knew one place that I kind of felt everybody had a, a uh, an even shot was on the football field because, you know, I've kind of faced that by going to a junior college, then also going to Texas A&I that I felt out of place with those two places, but the one place that I felt comfortable with was on the football field because it didn't matter where you came from or who you were, but your athletic ability and your talents would, would give you a better chance of playing or it was just didn't matter where you came from. It's just about who you were on the football field. And then the defensive line with the Vikings was pretty good when you joined them. You had what Henry Thomas? Yeah, well, we got man. I got there. We had Keith Millard, the defensive tackle, Henry Thomas, nose guard, uh, Chris Dolan, the defensive end. You had Al Noga, and these guys sat around each other like that. They've been knowing each other for like ten years. So here I am again, and just. Because, but at least one thing I thought when I looked at coming to Minnesota, and I looked at the guy's weight, uh, Al Mose was like six six foot tall, Kenny Thomas was like six two, Dobin was six five, and I think no, Dobin, you know, Keith was like Keith Miller was like six six, but I thought, you know what? I can, and the average weight was about two sixty, and I said to myself, you know what? I can at least kind of fit in with these guys' weight, but. When I got there, when I, after being there and, and seeing these guys, I just knew I had a long way to go. Now, in, in 93, you have 12 and a half sacks. You make the Pro Bowl. At that point, do you say, you know, I, th- I think I'm as good as anybody else playing this game? You know, not. I, for what I thought, I, saw, I see things differently than most 
people do. Most people sit around and look at the accolades and say, I accomplished this, I accomplished that. I was looking at it as, at the end of 93, I was looking forward to 94. Because um, at that point, it was, I was trying to be, I wanted to prove that I was the best defensive tackle that was in the league. I wanted to prove that. So every year, I, I wasn't looking back. I was just looking forward. So 94, I was looking at 94 and saying to myself, what can I improve on from 93 to to, to, to make 94 even better? And that's the way I saw it. And, um, you know, we uh, with John Turling and our defensive line coach, he kind of, he he and I thought similar about we always got to look forward to getting better because, you know, the, the guys that are in the room in 1993, all those same guys are not going to be there in 94. So that was kind of how I was looking at things. I mean, I think you had more trouble in practice going up against the Randall McDaniels and the Gary Zimmermans than you did going against some of those NFC opponents at that time because your line was better than all theirs. No, you know what? That, that's probably true because um, in practice, all I did was go against Randall, and then um, double teams were going against Randall and Gary. And uh, it, it really, in practice, because my mindset was if you can't do it in practice, there's no way in hell you can do it in a game. And uh, it was kind of like my mama had taught me this saying that. Um, you know, responsibility starts at home. So my thing was, it starts at home. It starts at home means home field, home practice. Everything starts there. So going against Randall every day, uh, I, I can remember my, back in my uh, first year with Paul Wiggins, my defensive line coach, and I was going against Randall, and Randall was tossing me, and I went maybe one, one out of every two weeks. I went went a. a a, a drill against Randall, and Paul Whitten came to me and said, what are you doing? Why are you going against Randall? And I said, he makes me better. He goes, but you're not beating him. So he tells me to go against one of these other guys, and I do, and I just clobber one. I mean, I just take these guys, and I'm just talking to the side, left and right, and he comes, and Paul Whitten comes back over and goes, go back to, go back, go back to going against Randall McDaniel. I see what you're doing, and I like it. And so, that's how my kind of what I was doing. I was always looking to get better, and I know going against Randall, I didn't win a lot, but I knew if I could do something against Randall that was very productive, I knew in the game it was surely going to work. Well, you certainly seem to enjoy going up against the Green Bay Packers offensive lineman and getting after a certain quarterback named Brett Favre. Well, it, it was just that, you know, Minnesota, state of Minnesota and the state of Wisconsin, side by side. So, um, you know, and I still live here. And every time I'm doing Packer Week, you see people with these Green Bay Packers flags on their cars. And that always just pissed me off, just like other players, you know, about how uh, the, the Packer fans were just – it just – like it, to me, it felt like they were almost invading our entire state. So when we played against Green Bay, it just made me just—it was almost that Texas Oklahoma rivalry coming up again. And so for me, it just made it more 
to go out to Brett Favre. And so when we played the Packers, man, it just – it was bragging rights. It was, uh, you know, it was state of Minnesota versus the state of Wisconsin. So Brett Favre would not have conceded a sack to you if you were going for the NFL record like he did Strahan? Oh, probably not. Probably, yeah, definitely not. Because um, when I went in the – every time he played in West Green Bay – I got booed, but I liked it. I liked getting booed by those by those Packers fans because for me that just made it even more special. Because here I am, a kid from Mumford, Texas, of 150 people, and I'm walking in this in this in Lambeau Field, and they're calling my name. I'm going, wow, they know who I am. So uh, it just to me it was like being the uh, the villain in the in the Wisconsin. So. Going against Brett Favre, it was just like uh, like Reggie White and I used to talk about it all the time. Going, I would tell Reggie, he was like, Reggie would tell me, "Quote, take it easy on our quarterback." And I go, Reggie, if you were back there, I would take you down. I go, I'm sorry, Reg. I go, you're Packers. I'm a Viking. We don't, we're not supposed to get along. I go, that's the way it is. But uh, I always love going against Brett Favre. Because he was a true competitor, he was a guy um, as if kind of like that kid in the neighborhood who was always bigger than everybody, and we, we always looked forward to going against that guy, trying to take him down because he was that good, he was that talented. You also have a reputation as a player for a little trash talking. After some of those sacks, did you uh, impart some wisdom to Brett Favre? Uh, you know what? I didn't really use a lot of it. On quarterback, I used, if any quarterback I did use it on, I used it on, uh, you know what goes back to Trent Dilfer. Because uh, I got Trent Dilfer kicked out of a game at the Metrodome one year because he kept messing with him, talking trash to him, and he thought we were trying to hurt him. And, you know, I played his lunges out, and he was trying to, I, somebody tripped me or something, and all I could do was just try to reach out and grab his shoe. And he thought I was trying to, take his leg out. And so he dropped, he drops down on the ground and starts punching me and they, they kick him out of the game. But most of my, uh, I my way of thinking was to get in the head of the offensive lineman because, uh, it was about just saying little things to a guy to not, to get him unfocused because, um, in practice, I knew talking to guys sometimes, uh, offensive linemen have a tendency of not listening to everything that's going on, especially when the quarterback is calling out the cadence. So I kind of would go back in, uh, um, in the media guys store that, cause every month, every, every Monday, uh, the media guys will come out and give you a stack of papers. It could be 200, 300, uh, pieces of paper that talks about stories about the opposing team you're going against. And, um, I would sit there and read stories about offensive linemen. You know, one guy may have, his, his wife may have just got married. He has two kids now. Uh, or one guy just bought a brand new car and he's dedicating this season to, uh, being able to pay for a car. One guy's all of a sudden saying, you know what? My dad's going to come to every home game and he's going to be in the end zone or something. So I would take that. And touch and put in my memory, and 
visually I could remember all this stuff about these guys and as the game was going on was going on, I could bring it up at the right moment and you could tell a guy something and all of a sudden he would seem like as if he was being total shocked that you knew his wife's name, his kid's name, his dad's name, his name of his car, where he got his car from, and it was just, you know, and all of a sudden, you and the Dolphins Lama, he's asking you questions like, how do you know that? And you're just smiling, looking at him. He kept asking me, how do you know that? And all of a sudden, the quarterback is trying to pull the offensive lineman in the huddle, and the offensive lineman is shoving the quarterback, coming up, get out of the way, and there you there go. Next thing you know, those two guys are fighting or arguing in the huddle, and I was, you know, I'm going, hey, my job is done. I have started it, you know, and it takes care of its own. So I would do things like that. It was, it was fun, you know. It was fun to do stuff like that. What would put the players over the edge? You talking about their brothers, sisters, wives, or their mom? No, you know what? It wasn't really talking about so much about a guy's mom, but it was you could say stuff to a guy that because you knew the guy said in the, in the media guy that his wife was going to come to every game and sit at the 50 yard line, and so you could conversations to be about if you were going against a guy and all of a sudden you know this guy's playing really he's playing really physical and you're going hey. Look here, nice job, really nice job. And I can really tell that you really have been uh, practicing all week, you know, anticipating me coming out here and playing against you. And I can also see that your wife, Susan, who's over at the 50-yard line, she's really enjoying this. And But you know what? If I beat you on one play, Susan is going to be disappointed. Now, what do you think Susan's going to think about that? And all of a sudden, he's going, how do you know my wife's name Susan? I said, don't worry about that. <laughs> Tell me about it. And the next thing you know, he's going, how do you know my wife's name Susan? I don't know. Maybe because, you know, she did grow up in, what was that town? Ah, she grew up in Michigan. That's right. She went She went to University of Michigan. You know what? I spent some time up in University of Michigan hanging out there. And all of a sudden, they just kind of just, and here's a quarterback trying to get him back in the huddle. He's like, no, no, no. I want to know how he knows my wife's name, Susan. And now she went to University of Michigan. And I'm like, I'll tell you later. I'll just tell you later. <laughs> so. So you would have had fun with uh, A.J. McCarron of Alabama with his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I like that? Oh, yeah. Because that's what you look for. You look for that one guy that all of a sudden, like, you'll get a guy it doesn't happen maybe every two weeks you get a guy that tells you, you're not going to get in my head. You're going, okay, no, nah, I'm not trying to get in your head. I'm not trying to get in you. Know, he's like, you can't talk to me. I'm going, see, I go, that guy right there, He, know, I'm already in his head. He's going to tell me, you're not going to get in my head. Oh, okay, yeah. Huh. And you can just, something, it could be, you could tell his teammate something about him. He go, hey, can you tell him his girlfriend's up in the stands? You know, and next thing you know, he's going, why are you telling my teammate that? Oh, that's it. I just had a conversation with your teammate about your girlfriend. You know, she was hot. She, you know, he even said she was hot. And all of a sudden, they started arguing. And that's all it takes, you know. 
And what we would do, we would do stuff as a dude's mama. We would come to a lot of scrimmage, and all of a sudden we were going to run a game. We would have a game named after, say, the quarterback's girlfriend, you know? And we all of a sudden were like, hey, you know what? We're all going to go over Susan's house tonight. We're going to go see Susan. And he's like, why you keep on like my girl? Oh, dude, we really like Susan, you know? And it would just be little games and stuff. We would run, and it was just get the guys pissed off. He quarterback sometimes, you know, wouldn't want to give up a sack. He just throw the ball, throw an interception. He like, I didn't give you a sack. I'm like, no, nope, you didn't. But you did give us an interception. So thank you anyway. So. Who talked more trash, you or Chris Carter? You know what? Uh, God, I think Chris and I are probably pretty much tied. But maybe you know what? I think Chris did a lot more than I did because Chris. Uh, you know, being a defensive lineman, you kind of get exhausted from all the running around and stuff. And the receivers, you know, you, you, you're in a better position to talk trash because, um, you know, it's about it's the quarterback throwing you the ball. And for us, it's like, it's hard to get, I think it's hard to get a sack than just to someone throw you a pass. So uh, I think Chris is better than I was. Now you had one career interception. You remember that play? Yep, that was against uh, San Francisco. What happened? Uh, it was an offensive lineman named uh, who caught me because my buddy Eddie McDaniel was, was trying to tell me toss him the ball. He was like, I told you to toss him the ball. And I went, dude, listen, this is my first interception. And you want me to toss the ball to you? I go, no, no. I go, this is, I'm getting many of these. So I'm not going to toss this, but yeah, I got ran down. And, uh, I, I felt like I was going to slow motion when I was, when I caught the ball. I caught the ball. I was like, I felt like I was in quicksand. It was the most unusual thing in the world. I see you pissed off the people eating tasty animals there with your commercial with chasing the chicken with the farm jersey on. Oh yeah, Peter. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that, that's one group of people that uh, you got to be careful when you when you mess with Peter. Um, yeah, I pissed them off to my. Uh, Commercial when we we even wrote them a letter telling them that uh, no chickens were harmed in this commercial and that didn't still didn't do any good. Whose idea was the commercial? Uh, that was Nike's Nike's idea, and it was kind of like that Rocky thing, you know, where they want to do the Rocky stuff, and uh, we did that in uh, out in uh, Hollywood, California. And uh, the funny thing about doing a commercial was we couldn't get the chickens to move; we couldn't it wouldn't run. So I spent, I think I spent at least an hour and a half just trying, trying to make them, you know, picking one up, trying to chase one, and all of a sudden I want to run. And uh, but yeah, we spent a lot of time trying to get those chicken to run. I mean, uh, it was, it was. I think those chicken were all like uh, just pet chicken or something. I thought it made a bun for Chick Fil A. <laughs> Speaking of running, who who was the best uh, running back you went up against? Oh, that was Barry Sanders. Because uh, we all, everybody, when we you play Detroit, you know, Monday night or Monday morning was the day you you went in to watch the film film review. So uh, everybody on Monday uh, would say, "You hope you didn't make Barry's highlight tape," because there were several guys that you would see on the tape. You know, you'd have a guy completely do a three sixty, trying to keep up with Barry and. Uh, for us, it was like watching him on AstroTurf, man. He was just like, you know, we was like, we playing him in Minneapolis, AstroTurf. We playing him in Detroit, AstroTurf. And, 
you know, it was not wanting to be on Barry's highlight reel because the guy could all of a sudden be back up in the goal line and all of a sudden take it, run it 25 yards. And I mean, it was almost as if Barry was running to, to classical music because he would see it, man. His shoulder was moved and it was just, I think he, he just like, uh, uh, it was like being like, uh, the guy with the flute and the, uh, cobra. It was just like very running style. It was almost like low you to sleep. I talked to Richard Dunn a couple years ago, and he basically said that Emmett Smith was one of the most overrated running backs because he was running behind such a good line. Anyone could have done that with talent. And I tell you what, uh, Emmett had a great line. Emmett, Emmett was no pushover, but uh, his offensive line was was devastating because me, once again, knowing the offensive lineman, he had uh, Larry Allen, who bench pressed 692. And I'll never forget that. When I read that in those media guides, I go, they, we were talking about offensive linemen, and I go, this dude, Finn's press is 692 pounds. And so we were talking about, um, he had Nate Newton. I go, man, Nate Newton, he's big, but Nate can't bench press 692 pounds. Emmett had an offensive line. He had a, he had a squad. And, and Daryl Johnson was no joke either, but I think, um, the thing about Barry was if Barry had had that offensive lineman, that offensive line, man, he would say Barry would be still running, running today. Now, you were in the same uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class with Emmett Smith. Well, what was going uh, into the Hall of Fame like for you? Uh, you know, it was uh, unbelievable because, you know, growing up in Texas, um, Sunday was a day of um, going to church, then watching football, then imitating football on Sundays. And, uh, you know, uh, it was unbelievable. A dream come true for a kid from Texas uh, to be inducted. And because I, I just hit high. It's hard to explain, but, you know, it's, I, just, I can't, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It, unbel- it's unbelievable because, I have found myself around my childhood heroes. And, uh, you know, every year when I go back now, I, I sit up, most of the guys, older guys sit up out front and, and just, and talk about old times. And I sit there, I find myself sitting out there with, uh, Roger Starback, Dick Buckus, and, um, oh my God, and Earl Campbell and those guys. And it's almost like, uh, going back in the time. Because for me, I mean, I grew up loving the game, appreciate watching the game, and uh, it's 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 like it's almost as it's it's like uh, when, you, when you go when a person goes back to Disney World and they're walking around and looking at it and they're going, oh my god! To me, being around those guys is it's it's almost the same thing because. They're all just, you know, you're sitting over there and it's like being on the teacups and all of a sudden they're still there. And, and I was sitting there, uh, this year, up here last year with, um, Franco Harris, John Madden, and Lynn Swan. And these guys were talking about, 
the Macklin chefs, you know, I, I mean, they're sitting there talking about it. And, you know, it's, it's like going back in time in the history. And me being a history guy, I am fascinated with history. And uh, to, to go back the Cantons and sit around with these guys is, I think, is a, it's like a childhood dream. Did you need all your buddy Dolman at all that you made the Hall of Fame before he did? You know what? I, did, I didn't tease Dole because I think it's already Dole already knows that because uh, Dole Dole was uh, Dole taught me a lot my rookie year. Uh, he taught me about how to respect the game, how to be uh, a professional, and uh, you know he was almost like my big brother on the football field because. He just taught me so much and, and just, you know, I have so much respect for Dole. And, uh, you know, I was lucky when I came into the league to be around Chris Goldman, Henry Thomas, Keith Millard, and, and Al Noka because those guys were, it, it was like business on Sundays, but every other day it was like having fun. And uh, that's what I tried to make it make football to the younger guys who I play with, I try to teach them and show them that it was the same way, having fun. What was it like leaving Minnesota for Seattle? It was a whole completely different change. It was a it was completely different to where I um had to get used to uh drinking a lot of coffee, um uh just being in a, a different world. It was just so different, but you know what? At the same time, I had so much fun out there and uh, met so many people. The organization was was great to be around, um, to where I was welcomed with open arms, and uh, I still talk to a lot of guys out there in Seattle. Um, it was, uh, you know, that's where my wife learned to cook at out there, and uh, it was just, it was just getting used to the rain. And uh, it was just, it was different. It was so different, but you know, at the same time, it was my wife and I, uh, we, we got a chance to discover Seattle together. And uh, it was just, it was fun. Wait, you were playing for former Packer coach, though, Mike Holgram. You know what? He had so much respect for me when I got there. And, uh, you know, he said that he couldn't believe that Minnesota let me go. And I go, well, you know what? One person is jumping, another man's treasure. And I go, you know, things were changing there. We're, and, uh, but he, he was great because he taught me a lot about, cause, you know, I just got married and he taught me a lot about being a dad. And, uh, it was great to see, cause I always wondered what he was like from watching him on the other side of the sideline. But going over, I mean, being there with him, I got to see what he was all about. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I was lucky to, to get that. Can't do that. It was what you and Cortez Kennedy were the defensive tackles. No, Cortez they just released Cortez. They, they signed a guy named uh, Chad Eaton, and we had Chad Eaton and uh, guy. We had Savon uh, Kirkland. They re-signed the guy. We just got Matt Matthew Houseback, the quarterback. So you were pretty loaded. Yeah, we were. We were a loaded team, but we just. I think the, what was the unusual thing was the team was just wasn't really used to winning, and when we started winning, it's really um, the guys is kind of just not used to that. Your career ends. You're tied with Richard Dent with 
137 and a half sacks. Was there a party that says, you know, I'd like to get in there for one more play and one more sack? <laughs> no, you know what? No. Uh, no, because, you know, Richard was a defensive man and I was a defensive tackle, but, no, I think uh, the way I treated uh, every game when I played it was after the game when I walked off the field, always looked back and said, did I give my all? And I did. And uh, at that point when I knew but I, when I, no, I never looked back and said, if I can get one more play, no. You figure a sack by a defensive tackle should be worth more than a sack by a defensive end? Oh, definitely. Definitely it's close to. I mean, when, when, a, when a defensive end gets double-teamed, he's getting double-teamed by a tight end and the defense, I mean, and the offensive tackle. And when you're a defensive tackle getting double-teamed, it's by the center and the guard or it's the guard and tackle. So, so, I don't want to make anybody mad, but it's definitely harder to get a sack inside than it is outside. You mentioned that you're a, basically a history buff and you love the game. We interviewed Deacon Jones, and Deacon Jones basically said he was the best defensive lineman of all time. Would you agree with that? Uh, you know what? I have to kind of disagree because if I had a Deacon don't get me wrong, Deacon is one of the toughest out there. I mean, he virtually started the head slap, you know, which is, it's a, which is, you know, we all know it's illegal now, but that wasn't Deacon's signature move. You know what Deacon's signature move was? What was it? Those other three great people's line that he played with, you know? I mean, I always, I, it, it's like what you said about, uh, Emmett having, I mean, Barry having an image line. Now, if I had some, uh, another Hall of Fame with the fact that Chris Doman playing with me my whole career, man, but, you know. He had Murph wow. Olsen, Rosie Greer. Rose Greer, and, uh, the one guy who, uh, hurt his knee, he played for a while, then he got hurt, then they got another guy to come in and play, but, that those guys were like like giants over over the offensive line, and I mean they were like what six three I think in height or six four six five because I read I read this story a while back maybe three four years ago how how they were just you know unstoppable and because you just didn't know who you were going to stop it was almost like. You know, the purple people eaters. Yeah. You know, you got Jim Marshall, Alan Page, and this guy, and you're going, okay, who are you going to double team? And, uh, you know, but uh, I think Deacon definitely started the trash talking. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm to say one of the, to, to say, to say one of the best people's mama, and I've always been kind of part of the red and white, because, I don't know, maybe because I got to see it firsthand. Uh, but, you know, I have to put Reggie right there next to Deacon. And Bruce Smith, no one... the, Bruce Smith thinks he's the best. Oh, well, Bruce was, you know, I stole a few moves from Bruce, but, uh, and, but Bruce wasn't like as how Reggie was just, and Reggie could line up anywhere. And, uh, you know, Reggie was just unstoppable. I mean, you just to stand next to Reggie and just see how Reggie was just—it was like we used to call—we used to have a joke. Everybody used to call Reggie Jesus because 
when he put his hands on you, it was like he just put the large hands on you. So Reggie was, he was just that destructive. Uh, I mean, he was just, I mean, the, the guy literally changed Green Bay when he got there. That's, that's a present. That's, you know what I mean? That's what he did. Is there one play that sticks out in your mind from your career, one tackle you, you might have made? Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I got several, but one of the biggest ones was when I went against Kevin Gogan playing against the Raiders, and Gogan was like, what did he do, 6'8", 6'1", and uh, I bull rushed him, and he fell back on his heels and fell to the ground, and uh, and I got a sack over him. And I think that was the you know, first one that read me that Gogan had ever given up. And, uh, you know, I actually got it because I got, it was, I got two, two sacks, one over, uh, over Kevin Gogan and the other one was over, um, the other guard from, uh, from the Raiders. So it was back to back sacks. You know what I feel bad about is that Herschel Walker started in USFL because if he would have been in the NFL his whole career, I think he would have been a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think so too. Herschel, I got a chance to play with Herschel my rookie year, and uh, he, the dude was just—we call it freakish body stuff. I mean, he was doing bunch of, uh, I don't know, five hundred sit-ups, push-ups. The guy was pretty talented, and uh, but you know, yeah, I wondered too what if he would have uh, played his whole career in, in the NFL. Okay, that wraps up another show. Thank you to John Randall, Pro Football Hall of Famer, also Chrissy Clawson, and. Karen Pellini of Team Fab. Tune in again next week. Hopefully David will be back in the studio. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Dave Olson. A reminder, you are listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. See you next time.